Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. I hope you are doing well today. It's good to be worshiping with you this morning. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time, just want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited that you are here visiting as our guest today. We just want to let you know how much we love and appreciate that and are grateful for you. And uh, I just want to let you know if you could do me a huge favor at some point before you head out. We have a table, our welcome table, right out there as you go back into the hallway. There's a, there's a welcome card on that table. If you mind just filling that out, leaving it there at the table. We have a free gift we'd love to give you. It's just a way for us to, to show our appreciation. And that card gives me the opportunity to reach out and say thank you for your visit. So if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. And you find us in week four of our, of our current series called Good News. Good News, God's message to the world. So we've been looking at and, and examining what is, what is God's message to the world, right? We're, we're surrounded by so much darkness, so much bad news, so many broken things going on in the world. What, it, what does God have to say, right? In the midst of that, in the middle of these, these, these dark days, these, these disappointing news, the, the hardship and, and the heartbreak that happens, what is God's message to us? And we open up his word, what we find is his message is one of good news, right? That's what we say that God's message is called the gospel. And the word gospel literally means good news. And what the gospel tells us is that God in his love has, has created us in his image to live in relationship with him. But sadly, what the Bible tells us is, is what happened. Though. Instead of in, living in relationship with God, we rejected God, rejected relationship with him, and we chose sin. We chose ourselves. We chose our own way. And that broke and that fractured the relationship that we were designed to have with God. So because of those choices, because of our sin, what the Bible tells us is that, that we actually stand condemned before God. Because of our sins, we are in a position of, of deserving wrath, of deserving judgment, of deserving condemnation. And it's like, man, Travis, you said good news. That sounds like bad news. Yes, that's really bad news, but that's not the end of the story, right? That's why God's good news is such good news, because the gospel tells us that Jesus, in his love and in his grace and in his mercy, saves us. When we put our faith and our trust in him, he saves us. He rescues us from our sins. He, he rescues us from facing an eternity of separation from God in hell forever. Through faith in Jesus, through faith in his work, his death and resurrection, he saves us. And that's exactly what we talked about last week. We looked at you know, what, what happens as a result of Jesus dying on the cross, of Jesus being raised from the dead. What happens? And what we see is on the cross, Jesus dies our, in our place, right? Like he takes on the payment and the penalty for our sins. And through faith in him, he applies salvation to our lives. He saves us. And here's the thing about salvation is, is Jesus doesn't save us and then, and then it's just life, life goes on as it always has, right? Like Jesus doesn't save you and say, all right, Travis, I've saved you. Now just go back to doing things like you've always done. Salvation doesn't leave us unchanged. It actually changes everything about us. So for part of this series, for, the, for this week and the next two weeks after this, I want, I want to spend some time looking at the implications of salvation. What happens in our lives as a result of Jesus saving us, as a result of us putting our faith in Jesus? What are some things that, that change about us? And where we're going to start today is we're going to look at, look at what, how our relationship with God changes as a result of salvation. 
And this is summarized, this is taught and explained in the doctrine of justification. Justification. Have you ever heard that term? That's what we're talking about today. Justification. And this is an aspect of salvation that talks about how we go from being condemned to not condemned, to having a broken relationship with God, to having a right relationship with God. So that's where we're going today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 3. That's where we spent our time last week. We're going to jump back into Romans chapter 3 today. I think this just gives a, a, a deep, robust definition of what Jesus does as a result of salvation, as a result of his death and resurrection. So that's why we're hanging out in Romans chapter 3 so much. So Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19, I'm going to read from 19 to 26. This is what it says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified, there's our key word, no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Okay, let's pause there for a second. We read this a couple weeks ago, but just as a reminder, what these two verses tell us is that, that we as people, as humanity, without Jesus, apart from Jesus, we stand condemned. God looks at our lives, he looks at our works, and, and he sees the sin that we're covered in that we're sinners by nature, that we're sinners by choice. And because of that, we stand under God's judgment, under God's wrath, under God's condemnation, right? That's, what, that's where we are without Jesus. That's, that's what we deserve. That, that's who we are, right? So that's what this tells us. But again, the message of God doesn't start there. Verse 21, but now, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified, again, there's our, there's our key word, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him, that's Jesus, presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, so we, we see this word justified coming up a couple of times here. We read it last week. I told you we we're going to come back to that. So here we are coming back to it. If you underline, highlight, circle things in your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase in verse 24. They are justified freely by his grace. We are justified by the grace of God. So what, what does that mean? What does that word justify mean? What's going on here? First, I want to just mention that this, this, is, a, this is a key doctrine. This is a, this is a big deal. This is why we're spending an entire week talking about this, because this, this, is, this is important. This is a big deal. Martin Luther, uh, who was you know, the one that started the Protestant Reformation all the way back in the 1500s, uh, what changed everything for Martin Luther was his understanding of justification. Changed everything for him. And, and he writes in one of his commentaries on Galatians, he writes that, that justification is the principal article of Christian doctrine. The principal article of all Christian doctrine. What, what that means is, is it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Like Martin Luther is saying, everything hinges on us understanding this doctrine. And it, it, that was the case for him. Like once he understood what it meant to be justified by God's grace and not justified by our works, that changed everything for him. Then he saw how the Roman Catholic Church was, was teaching salvation by works instead of by faith. And, and here he goes, he takes the 95 Theses, hammers them onto the jaw at Wittenberg in Germany, and boom, here we are today as a result of that moment. And it all has to do with justification. 
So what does this mean? What, what does it mean? Let me give you a helpful definition um, that I came up with. Justification is just kind of a uh, put together all the stuff that you read from anybody else, and we'll give you a more technical definition in a second. But justification is, is simply this. It's an act of God where God forgives all our sins and declares us righteous. Let me read that again. Justification is an act of God where God forgives all our sins and declares us righteous. It's an act of God where he forgives all our sins and declares us righteous. I love the way George Eldon Ladd puts it. He's one of my favorite theologians. He was a theologian in the, the mid-1900s. Uh, uh, just incredible. Love his work. This comes from uh, his, his book, New Testament Theology. If you want a book about 600 pages that talks about theology, there's your book for you. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's a lot, though. But, but I love him. He, he, he's great in this. So this is what he says about justification. He says, the root idea in justification is the declaration of God, the righteous judge, that those who believe in Christ, sinful though they may be, are righteous. Are viewed as being righteous because in Christ they have come into a righteous relationship with God. That's justification. Even though we are sinners, through faith in Jesus, through trusting in Jesus, God declares us righteous. And we have a right relationship with him instead of a broken one. That's justification. So that's where we're going today. Real quick, before we get into like the meat of this, I just want to point out that, that justification is an act of God. It is a one-time, instantaneous declaration of God. It is not a process. Justification does not come in waves. It does not come in layers. It's not, you know, one day you're justified and then the next day you're not. Like, that's not how it works. This is a one-time moment, an act of God where he says, your sins are forgiven, and I'm declaring you righteous. It's a one-time act of God, not a process. So three things that justification teaches us is where we're going for the rest of our time. If you're taking notes, first the point here, justification brings us forgiveness. Justification brings us forgiveness. So real quick, the, the opposite of justification is condemnation. So we got condemnation on one side, justification on the other side, right? We got, we got condemnation over here, and we've got being declared righteous, being made righteous over here, right? So th these are opposing ideas. So on one side, we have condemnation, and this is what we, we just read in, in verses 19 and 20. This is our state before Jesus saves us. So before Christ comes and rescues us, before we put our faith in him, our position before God is one of condemnation. We are condemned because of our sins. We stand guilty before God, the righteous judge. He looks at us, he examines us, he sees our works, he sees all the things that we do, all the good things that we think we're doing, he sees all of that, and he still says, nope, you're a sinner. You are guilty. You stand condemned. Right? And that's because what we talked about a couple weeks ago was God's standard is perfection. And regardless of where we stand on understanding Scripture and Jesus and all of that, I think we can all safely admit that none of us are perfect. I think we can at least agree on that. So because of that, we fall short of God's standard. And we stand condemned. Our state before Jesus saves us, our standing before God before Jesus saves us, is one of condemnation. We are guilty. And as we've read in Romans 3, those two verses, 19 and 20, we can't justify ourselves with works of the law. What Paul means when he says that is we can't save ourselves. 
There's nothing you or I could do. There's no much good that we could do to earn that justification, to earn that pronouncement of being righteous before God. We can't do it. We cannot save ourselves. And again, that's why this is such good news, because when Jesus saves us and we put our faith in him, now we're justified. Now we're justified. We were condemned, we were guilty, and now we're not. Now we're not. Now we are declared innocent. Now we are declared forgiven. We no longer stand under condemnation. We stand under forgiveness, under a pronouncement of being innocent. So in justification, God removes our guilt, he removes our condemnation, and he pronounces us innocent. Now how is that possible? How how does that work? Like how can God just do that? Well again, this is what we read last week and spent our time talking about last week, verses 24 and 25 here of Romans 3. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood. This is how we are forgiven. It's because of what Jesus does for us on the cross, right? What we talked about last week, we, we are redeemed. Jesus is the mercy seat. He is the propitiation. He satisfies all of God's payment and penalty that we stored up because of our sin. Jesus takes care of all of that. So here's the thing. God doesn't, uh, in terms of forgiveness, God doesn't, God doesn't just look at us and, and see our sins and go, well, you know, we'll just forget about it. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Like, that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't sit right with us, right? Like, like imagine somebody commits this, this horrific crime, just, just awful crime. All the evidence is there. It's clear as day that this person is guilty. They, they've done what they've done. And now they're standing before the judge, clear as day. Maybe they've even admitted. Let's just say they've admitted, yeah, I, I'm guilty. And the judge just looks at them and goes, eh, I'm not going to punish you. It's fine. No big deal. Let's just forget about it, right? Let's just forget about it. We'll just go about our lives as if nothing happened. We'd all be like, what? Where's the justice? What's going on here? This isn't right. And this is why, why Paul writes at the end of 26, he says that God would be both the just and justify the sinner. This is how God says that. Because he doesn't just forget about our sins and just go, let's just pretend it never happened. That, that's not right. That's not justice. God can't do that. He's holy. He's perfect. He can't just ignore sin. So we're not forgiven just because God's like, well, you know, let's just forget about it. No, we're, we're forgiven because Jesus takes on the punishment. Jesus pays the price. Jesus takes on the penalty for our sins. It's all because of Jesus. And we need to remember that and remind ourselves of that constantly. We are forgiven. We are justified because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. This is how Colossians 2, 13 through 14 puts it. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Again, that's us before Jesus. We are condemned. We are dead in our sins. We are guilty. There is no doubt about if we're guilty or innocent. We are guilty. But it continues. He made you alive with him and forgives us all our trespasses. How many of our trespasses, church? What was that? What was that? All our trespasses. All of them. All of them. It keeps going. keeps going here. Verse 14. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Y'all, this is, this is the good news of the gospel. We stand condemned. We are judged guilty. And then Jesus takes on all of that sin and he, he pays that price. He nails it to the cross and wipes our debt clean. We don't owe any more. We no longer stand condemned. We are forgiven of all of our sins. 
And look, here's what that means. Just to be clear, all our sins means our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins are all forgiven by Jesus when we put our faith in him. That's what justification means. That's what justification means. And look, here's the deal. We can, again, we, we're not perfect, right? Even though we've put our faith in Jesus, those of us that are Christians, even though we've responded, we've put our faith in Jesus, it doesn't make us perfect. We still struggle. I still struggle. We still sin. And guess who made that payment for our sin already? It's already done. Those future sins that I'm going to commit, those future sins that you're going to commit, are already forgiven in Jesus in that moment that we put our faith in him. That's what justification means. All our sins are forgiven. Our debt is wiped clean never to come back again. Psalm 103, 12 puts it, puts it this way. This is what God does with our sins. This is how he, how he views our sins when we put our faith in Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's how far they are. They're gone. They're gone. Never to be seen again. That condemnation, that guilty verdict is gone. That debt is gone. It's gone. Romans 8, 1, I love this. This is, this is why Paul can write these words here. Because of what Jesus does for us, because of what justification means, because we are completely forgiven of all of our sins, Paul can write this in Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. We can't be condemned anymore. There is no one to accuse us anymore. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are completely forgiven. We have been justified. Our debt is wiped clean. So in justification, God removes our sin. He forgives us of all of our sin, past, present, future sins, all forgiven. He removes our condemnation. No longer are we guilty. Now we're innocent. So that's the first part of justification. He forgives us of our sins. The second part of justification Number two, justification declares us righteous. Justification declares us righteous. So justification doesn't just forgive us, doesn't just remove our guilt, doesn't just remove our condemnation. Like if it was that, just that, like praise God, that'd be awesome, right? Like that's, that's amazing. But God doesn't stop there. He doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just say, you no longer are you condemned. Now I'm, I'm, I'm making you righteous. I declare you righteous. So in justification, God declares us righteous righteous before him. This is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. He says, so then as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So here, here's what God does in this moment of justification. He, he reverses what happened with the fall, right? This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin came in the world. And, and because he was our representative, because Adam was the representative of humanity, all of, us, all of us other humans who were born in the line of Adam, we stand condemned because he's condemned. He sinned, therefore we all sinned. That's how it works. He was our representative and because he sinned, because he got condemned, we all were in a position of condemnation. So through Adam's sin, we all were condemned. But this is what the Bible tells us. Jesus, he's the new and better Adam. He is the new and better Adam. There is no disobedience in Jesus. When he lived, he lived perfectly. He met God's standard of perfection. He faced temptation and turned away from Satan and didn't give in to that like Adam and Eve did. 
So through his obedience, through faith in him, that righteousness, that perfection, that obedience is given to us. He's our new representative. No longer are we in Adam. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are in Christ. We are under him. He's our representative. Now we get to have his righteousness, his perfection. Paul gives us an example of how this works in, in Romans 4. He says this, uh, Romans 4, 3 through 5, he says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but is something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. So here's what this looks like. Here's how this plays out. Remember we talked about Abraham last week, Genesis 12. God comes to Abraham, this guy who was, you know, just doing his own thing, living his own life, had no knowledge of God, didn't worship God, didn't know who God was. God comes to him and is like, hey, Abraham, here's a great idea I got for you. I want you to leave everything, leave your entire family, leave everything you know, leave where you grew up. I'm going to bring you to this new place. I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'm not going to tell you what's going on. I'm just going to bring you there. It's a place you've got to trust me. I'm going to bring you to a place, and I'm going to start a nation out of you. I know you're 75 years old. I know your wife has never been able to have kids. I know you think you're, this is pointless and, and you're never going to have kids, but no, I'm, I'm going to build an entire nation out of you. And Abraham just goes, okay, God. First of all, that, that's crazy, right? Like that deserves its own sermon probably, but that's, that's crazy, y'all, that he was just like, okay, cool, let's do this. That's faith. That's faith. He trusted God to deliver on his promises. And what we're told in Genesis is that that faith is credited to Abraham as righteousness, credited him as righteousness. But that, he didn't earn that, right? He's not, he's not given something that's owed. That's why Paul uses the example of the one who works, right? When we work, we, we earn an income, right? You don't earn an income for just sitting at a desk and, and doing nothing. You, you would lose your job. But we work, and, and because we work, we're owed a salary. We're owed income. We're owed payment. But that's not how righteousness works. That's not how justification works. We trust in Jesus and he credits our account with righteousness. He credits our account. This is an accounting term. So, so our, our account is, is in red, right? Like we're, we're in red, we're in debt, we owe God. And then God takes that debt, wipes it out, and he credits our account with righteousness. This is how uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it. Love this passage. It says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is how God does it. It's all because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus does for us, there's this great exchange that happens when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. Jesus takes on all of our sin. He takes that. He takes our sin. He takes our judgment. He takes our wrath. He takes our punishment. He takes on all of that. And then when we put our faith in him, he gives us his righteousness, his perfection. That's amazing. That's incredible. That is such good news. The theologians call this the, the imputed righteousness of Christ. And that's another accounting term. It's imputed to us. It's, it no longer is our account read and in debt. No longer does it read condemned and guilty. Now it reads righteous. It reads perfect. This is what happens when we put our faith in Jesus. Here's what this means. See, remember, before Jesus, when God would look at us, when God would see us, our standing before God, God's disposition towards us was one of condemnation. We stood guilty, we stood condemned, but when we put our faith in Jesus, when we trust in him for salvation, and, and God takes our sin and gives us Christ's righteousness, 
Now when God looks at us, when he sees us, he sees us as righteous. He sees us as righteous. He sees us as having the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus. He doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my guilt. He doesn't see my failures. He sees Christ's righteousness. And look, this, this is important for us to get because it, it speaks to who we are in Christ. See, I want to make it clear. God, God does not treat us as if we were righteous, as though we were righteous. He treats us as righteous because we are righteous. And again, that's not because, that's why it's important to remember Abraham. It's not because of what we've done. It's not because of who we are. It's all because of Jesus. Here, here's a way to, to understand it. My, my kids, you know, they, they have fun dressing up for Halloween. They love that. So they, they always keep their old Halloween costumes. And from time to time, they'll put it on. Zayden, especially one of the, one of the things that, that he loves doing, is he, he's, he's been a police officer. He's been a firefighter. He's been a construction worker. Like, he really loves, like, the community helpers. That's what he calls them. That's what he learned about in school. Loves the community helper stuff. So he's probably going to be that one day. But anyway, so sometimes he'll, he'll come out of his room, and he's, he's dressed up in his policeman costume, or he's dressed up in his firefighter costume, or he's dressed up in his construction worker vest and the hard hat and everything. And he'll come out and be like, Dad, I'm a police officer. Dad, I'm a firefighter. Dad, I'm a construction worker. I'm like, oh yeah, you are, man. That's awesome. That's great. Like, so he's pretending to be something. I'm going along with it. But at the end of the day, is my son really a police officer just because he puts that on? No, that'd be scary. That's a terrifying thought to think of a seven-year-old as a police officer, right? Like, good goodness, what would happen if that was the case? Or a firefighter or a construction worker. Like, he's not really those things, but he's pretending, and I'm pretending along with him, and I'm treating him as if he is that. And I think sometimes we think of our relationship with God in that way. We think that, that we're playing dress-up with Jesus' righteousness, that, that we put that on in this moment, and, and Jesus treats us as if we are that, but the moment we sin, the moment we fail, the moment we stumble, well, no longer is Jesus treating us as if we're righteous. Now, now he's treating us as if we're a sinner. Now, now we, we've taken off Christ's righteousness, and we've put back on our old sinner self. I think that, that's sometimes how we think about our relationship with God, but that's not what's going on. There's no pretending. There's no playing dress up with Jesus' righteousness. It's not on us in one moment, and then the moment we fail and sin, it's taken away from us. That's not how this works. God treats us as righteous because he declares us righteous. He says we are righteous. He views us as righteous. We have Jesus' righteousness always and forever. That's what this means. So our standing before God when we put our faith in Jesus, our, 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 God's attitude towards us is one of righteousness. So justification forgives us of our sin. God declares us righteous. And our third point is justification reconciles us to God. Justification reconciles us to God. So when we, when we need to reconcile with somebody, it's because there, there's damage in that relationship, right? Like maybe, you know, you said something you shouldn't have, you, you did something you shouldn't, like think about it with, with your friends or maybe with your spouse, like you, you did something that you shouldn't have and now, now you got to make amends, right? Now you got to apologize, now you got to seek forgiveness and, and restore the relationship. And when, it, when it's restored, we say you, you've reconciled. Now, now there's reconciliation, right? You've, you've repaired a broken relationship, that relationship is right. Well, that's what happens when we are justified by Jesus, we are reconciled to God. We're reconciled to God. We have a restored relationship with God. 
Again, in, in salvation, salvation is a reversal of what happens in Genesis 3. Like all of these things, all of these things that we learn about and we see in Scripture, it all goes back to that, and it's all a reversal of that and a restoration of what we see in Genesis chapter 1. So he, he's, again, reversing what was broken in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve chose sin in that moment, they were separated from God. They started out having this perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship, and in the moment they sin, things were broken. They were separated from God. And God, in that moment, and from that point on, has been working and is working and does work to restore what was broken, to bring us back into a right relationship with him. And he does this through justification. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we're forgiven and we're declared righteous, now our relationship with God is restored. Now we are reconciled back to God. This is how, how Romans 5, 1 and 10 puts it. So Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans 5, verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? See, before Jesus, again, we, we stand as if we were condemned. We stand in a place of condemnation. We are enemies with God. But when he saves us, when he justifies us, now we have peace with God. Now we are reconciled. Now the relationship has been restored. We have peace. We were enemies, and now we have peace. Things were broken, and now they're being made right. Colossians 1 puts it this way. 1, 22 and 21 says... You were, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. So again, this is, this is how Paul describes our state before Jesus. We were alienated from God, separated apart from God. We were hostile towards God. We were committing evil actions, sinful actions as a result of this. So we were that, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you, reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. That's justification. That's what he, he saves us. He makes us holy and blameless and faultless before him. And now we're reconciled. Now we're brought back into right relationship with God. So what does this mean? What does this mean? And we'll, we'll end here. But what does this mean? Real simply, what this means, the result, the effects of justification, of reconciliation are this. Simply what, what this means is my standing and my relationship with God never changes. It never changes. Never changes. It doesn't change based on what I do, and it doesn't change based on what I don't do. It doesn't change based on what I get right, and it doesn't change based on what I do wrong. When I put my faith in Jesus, when he justifies me, when he declares me righteous, when he reconciles my relationship with him, that relationship from that point on never, ever, ever changes. It doesn't change. Because of justification and because of God reconciling me to him, no matter what I do or don't do, I'm always in a right relationship with him. Here's what this means. Here's what this means. It means that, that because of what Jesus did for me, I am always loved and always accepted by God. I'm always loved and accepted by God. My relationship with God is not transactional. It's not transactional. I think often 
our relationships are transactional, right? Like if I, if I do something, good or bad, well then, you know, you'll treat me as, as though I'm, I'm good or bad, right? Like think about it in terms of your friendships or, or maybe even your relationship with your boss, right? Like at work, if, if you do a good job, well then your boss is like, hey, good job, pat on the back, way to go, you. If you do something wrong, it's like, oh, well, yeah, I don't like you anymore. Uh, you were going to get a promotion, but now, now, now you're not. It, it's transactional. Uh, it shouldn't be all the time, but, but sometimes that's the case. And, and so I, I kind of think of it in terms of, of my relationship with, with my wife and kids and my relationship with our new dog that we got in October. My relationship with our dog is very transactional. It is very transactional, and it will fluctuate based on how she behaves throughout the day very transactional. And my kids get on to me about this, and I told them the other day, like, Dad, no, you gotta, you gotta love the dog. I'm like, no, 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 no. I do not have to love the dog as I love you and Mommy. I don't have to do that. No, because according to Genesis 1, I am to rule and have dominion over the creation, and this dog is part of creation, right? No, I do not have to love the dog the same as I love you guys. My love for my wife and my kids is not transactional, right? Like, I tell them all the time, especially when I'm getting on to my kids or they're being disciplined, like, look, I, I want you to know, Daddy still loves you, right? Like, we're, we're talking about how you need to behave and how you need to act, but, but Daddy still loves you. This does not affect the way that I love you or care about you. You are always my child, right? Like, you're always my child. I'm always your father, and I will always love you no matter what. The dog, on the other hand, I don't have to love that way. Look, I'll, I'll start each day, you know, hey, you know, Winnie, let's, let's have a good day. Let's do good, and I'll, I'll be nice to you, you'll be nice to me, and, and we'll work this out. And here's the thing, like, I'm the one that's home with the dog. I have to take care of the dog all the time, like, because I work from home, can the kids are at school all the time. Like, I, I'm the one primarily with the dog. So I have this talk with her every morning. I'm like, all right, let's, let's, let's have a good day. Five minutes later, no, she's driving me crazy. I'm like, I can't stand you. I told the kids the other day, you're going to come home, and the dog is just going to be outside. And it's going to be forever outside, and it, you know, whatever happens is going to happen. I'm like, Dad, you can't do that. So my love for the dog is very transactional. I think sometimes we have this transactional view of God, that his love for me, his acceptance and approval of me depends on what I do, and a lot of times, more importantly, what I don't do. What I don't do. And when I was growing up, it, this wasn't explicitly taught to me when I was growing up, but this was kind of the underlying viewpoint of, of how to have things right with God. It was always taught, yes, salvation is by faith alone. You put your faith in Jesus, and he saves you. But if you want God to continue to love you, if you want God to continue to, to have a good relationship with you, to, to look, look good upon you, well, then you better do these things. You better read your Bible. You better come to church. You better serve. You better do all of these different things. And the moment you don't do that, well, God's, well, yeah, Travis, yeah, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. That's a transactional view of God. That's not what Scripture tells us. That's not what Scripture tells us. My position of righteousness, of holiness before God, does not change based on what I do or don't do. That is a done deal, and it's based on Jesus, not based on me. Justification puts an end to legalism. It puts an end to earning God's love and approval. And I think this is what we see in different parts of Scripture, whether it's with the Pharisees or whether it's with what Paul was dealing with in Galatians, where people add to the gospel, right? It's like faith in Jesus, and yes, God forgives you, but you also got to do these things. Yes, he saved you through faith, but if you don't do these things, well, then God's now mad at you. And God's looking unfavorably towards you. And now his, his position, his, his, you're standing before him, well, now it's, it's broken and you got to refix it. That's, that's not what Scripture tells us we, we don't add to the gospel. It's not Jesus plus these other things equals God's love. No, it's Jesus plus nothing equals God's love. It's faith in him, and that's it. It's a done deal. 
Justification tells me that my relationship with God does not change. It's not transactional. I have all the love, approval, and acceptance from God always and forever at all times and has nothing to do with me. It's completely based on Jesus. So I'm always loved and accepted and approved by God. It also tells me that, that, that there's no more shame. There's no more shame before God. We see this with, with Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. When they commit that sin, what does it say? In Genesis 2, they were naked and unashamed. They sin, they realize they're naked, and immediately they're ashamed. They're immediately they're ashamed. And look, there, there's this difference between, between guilt and shame, right? Guilt is feeling bad about what I've done. Shame is feeling bad about who I am. And when I sin and I mess up, man, I, I do, I feel bad about that. And we're going to talk about this next week, but that, that, that guilt can be a godly conviction from the Holy Spirit to say, hey, Travis, you messed up. You need to repent and, and come back to me, right? Like that, that, that feeling that I get, that, that conviction should drive me back to Jesus. But instead, what happens when I mess up, when I sin, Satan immediately comes in and it's all the accusations. It's Travis, how could you do that? How could you mess up like that? How could you say that? How could you do that? You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a pastor. You call yourself a good husband or a good father. Well, a good Christian wouldn't have done that, wouldn't have said that, wouldn't have acted that way, wouldn't have treated your wife that way, like wouldn't have treated your kids that way. I can't believe you did that. And I buy into that. And now that, that guilt hasn't driven me back to God, that conviction hasn't driven me back to God, it's driven me to shame. And now I sit in my sin and I think I'm unworthy to go back to God. How could God love me anymore? How could God forgive me? And I just sit in that shame and that sin. But what justification tells us is that there's no shame because there's no more condemnation. And what in those moments where, where I'm feeling conviction, what I need to feel and what I need to do is, is to run back to Jesus. That should drive me to repentance. And what I need to tell Satan is, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I did that. Yes, I messed up, but God still loves me. He's already forgiven me. He's already won the victory over this and over you, and get out of here. There's no more condemnation, especially from the devil. There is none left to condemn. There is none left to accuse. Jesus has taken care of all of that. We don't have to fear failure. We don't have to fear ever not measuring up to God. I mean, just imagine that. God sees everything about us. That's why it was so silly that Adam and Eve hid in the garden. It's like, what are you doing? It's God. He already knows what you've done. He already knows where you are. Why are you hiding? But that's what we do. These dark places in our heart and our lives that we would just feel so much shame and embarrassment if anybody ever knew that we thought that, that we did that, that we said that. We hide it away. We tuck it away. We pretend that it's not there. Guess what? God sees that. He sees all of that. You are fully known by God. And what the gospel tells us, what justification tells us, is, is not only are you fully known and fully seen, you're fully loved at the same time. You're fully loved and accepted and approved by God because of what Jesus has done for us. So I, I want to ask us to just think about this for a minute because, again, this, this impacts how we live our lives and how we relate to God. I heard a pastor put it this way one time. Imagine in that moment of failure. So whatever it is, whatever, whatever sin you're struggling with, you know, maybe it was, you know, speaking to your spouse or, or getting on to your kids or falling into to anger or pride or looking at that thing on the internet you shouldn't be looking at, giving in to greed, materialism, whatever sin that you're struggling with and, and you commit that sin and you're feeling the wave of conviction, you're feeling, man, I messed up. 
I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that again. And I promised myself I was never going to do that again. And, and, and here I am. I can't believe, I can't believe that happened. Okay, and you're sitting there and you know, maybe your hands are in your head and you're just, you're just feeling that wave of like, man, I messed up. I messed up. And in that moment, Jesus walks in through the door. What's his face look like? What's his disposition towards you like? Is it one of condemnation? Is it one of disappointment? Is it one of an angry father? Is it one of, I can't believe you messed up. I can't believe you did that. How dare you do that? Or is it one of grace? Is it a disposition of, of love? Is it a disposition of, of righteousness? Because that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's how Jesus sees us. That's how Jesus treats us. His disposition towards us is always one of grace. In these moments of sin and failure, that's what we need to remind ourselves of. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul finishes Romans 8 with this, and we'll, we'll end here. He finishes Romans 8 with, with this word. To it says this in verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who was the one who condemns? Jesus is the one who died. Even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or disease or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all the day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Nothing. Not even our sin and our failure can separate us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are justified. We are made righteous. We are reconciled by his grace, by his love, by his mercy, by his, by his death and resurrection. As we end today, just want to remind us that there, there's this parable that Jesus tells in, in Luke chapter 18, and uh, it, it's of, of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And a Pharisee thinks he's just the best thing ever, right? Like, just thinks he's amazing and, and thinks he's so righteous. And he's praying in the temple. He's like, God, thank you. Thank you that I'm not like these sinners, especially that tax collector over there. Isn't he just the worst, everybody? He's awful. He's terrible. And, and that's how they viewed him, right? The tax collectors were, were the worst of the worst in this time. So this Pharisee's praying, God, thank you that I'm not like this sinner. And here's the tax collector in the back, beating his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And Jesus tells his disciples that those, uh, those who left that day, the Pharisee and the tax collector, it's the tax collector who was justified. Why is that? Because that tax collector knew he had no leg to stand on. He had no room to boast about anything. That if he was going to have mercy, if he was going to have salvation, if he was going to have forgiveness, it had to be completely Jesus because he was a sinner. We can't rely on ourselves. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I, I want this to be what you hear today. You cannot save yourself. You stand in a place of condemnation before God, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can't save yourself. We have to rely on Jesus. We have to go to him for salvation, for justification, for freedom, for mercy, for grace. We have to be like that tax collector. Have mercy on me, a sinner. If you're here and you, you are a believer, you put your faith in Jesus, I, I hope this is a reminder to you as well about what the gospel teaches us. You know, the gospel doesn't say you put your faith in Jesus for salvation and then you rely on yourself to keep that salvation. No, that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says we rely on Jesus for everything. It tells us that we are, we are justified, we are forgiven, we are made righteous, and there is no one left to condemn us. Rest in that. Rest in that. What's God's disposition towards you? What's God's view of you? It's one of righteousness. And when we do stumble, when we do fail, let's run back to Jesus. Let's run back to him. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to step into a time of communion and worship like we do every single Sunday. And this is a time for believers in the room. So if you're here, you put your faith in Jesus. This is a time for us to remember exactly what we've talked about these last few weeks. So remember what Jesus alone has done for us. Partaking in communion and why we do it every single week is it centers us on this truth that, that all we have is because of Jesus. When we take that bread, when we, when we drink the cup, it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. It reminds us of his love for us. It reminds us of his mercy and his grace towards us. It reminds us that in him we have everything. So Christian in the room, again, this is a time for us who believe. I want to encourage you to spend some time in prayer. You know, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you have strayed, right? Maybe it is Jesus leading you to repentance. Maybe he's bringing that conviction to say, hey man, you, you have stepped out, but I'm calling you back. Let's turn back to him. Or maybe you just need to spend some time in quiet worship and prayer and just thinking and praising God for who he is and what he's done for us. Remembering and reminding ourselves of the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of justification. And then as you're ready, you go to either side of the room, you take of the bread and you take of the cup and we eat and we drink and we celebrate and we worship our good God and our Savior. We worship that he has saved us. We, we worship him for his forgiveness for his righteousness, for his, for his reconciliation, that he has made things right and that we can approach God, that we can come to him. Church, that is such good news. Let's pray. Let's worship him. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for your grace and for your goodness. I thank you for your salvation, Lord, that, that you went to the cross for us, that you died in our place, Lord, and that when we put our faith in you, that you forgive us, that you make us righteous, Lord, that you make things right between us, Jesus. We have no hope apart from you. Lord, let us remember 
especially in those moments of sin and failure, what this truth reminds us. Let us remind ourselves of the gospel, that we don't have to sit in our shame and our guilt anymore, Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in you. There is no one to accuse because we are in you, because you saved us, because you died for us, because you love us. Let us remember the beautiful truth that we are always loved and accepted by you, Lord. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness. We thank you for the gift of righteousness. Lord, we thank you for the gift of reconciliation. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In your name we pray.